And now, it's time for Miss Weed Wiki Speaks. Chantel Philpotts, a cannabis consultant and entrepreneur also known as the master of marijuana, or as I like to call her, mom. I had the recent pleasure of meeting Chantel through my online cannabis collective called the Afro-Canada Bud Sisters. So thank you so much for joining us today, Chantel. Could you tell our listeners where exactly you're joining me from? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm coming from Brampton, Ontario. Big us, big us. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And that's Brampton, Ontario, which is more on the East Coast for our listeners who are not necessarily in Canada. Thank you so much for sharing. My listeners and I would love to know more about you and your cannabis journey. So tell me, where did it all start for you? Oh, um, technically, my journey started at 18 years old when I was first introduced to cannabis personally, and I took my first puff. It was love at first puff. I felt so connected uh, to the earth, like a magnet. Um, Some would like to say that would be an indica strain um, because people like to refer indica as indica couch. I would like to um, debunk that, uh, but uh, that's a little bit later uh, down the line. When it really truly started though was when um, my brother, my older brother, he started consuming cannabis and we could smell it. And my mom would always get so upset. She would say it's the worst drug. I started to hear that it's going to give you lung cancer, schizophrenia, even kill your family. Uh, when I went to school, we finally were, we were educated about uh, drugs and the dangers of drugs. And cannabis was introduced as the worst drug on the market. It would make you give, it would give you, um, all sorts of anger issues. It would make you turn to crack, cocaine, and all sorts of whatnots, heroin. And I was, I was spooked. I'm the type of person I don't like to get caught for anything. Uh, so I just stayed on the straight and narrow for a very long time up until uh, university. And then I said, you know what, let me give it a try. Um, I really do want to try this. And uh, as soon as I tried it, I really enjoyed it. Um, But my journey wasn't necessarily all of a good one. Um, I got mixed up with tobacco, mixing my um, cannabis with batch, as we say it. And um, it was a dangerous game I was playing, considering I had such extreme asthma. Um, So like my lungs just couldn't keep up with it. I got really, really sick at one point. And I told myself I needed to take a break. So I did. I bounced back, um, and honestly, that that uh, that journey with tobacco and uh, cannabis mix went for years. Um, it wasn't until very recently that I finally threw in the towel and said, "I'm not going to do it anymore. I want to respect the experience with cannabis and not necessarily um, dilute it with other things." Um, so, in order for me to teach people properly how to use cannabis, I myself have to understand how to properly use cannabis and you know everybody can pick their poisons and stuff like that but that wasn't one that I could you know sustain so I uh, threw in the towel with that and I've been enjoying uh, my cannabis since I really got into the education aspect of cannabis because of the health uh, um, implications and I found myself I could breathe 
easier when I started smoking cannabis. So I really wanted to know why. So I got into the education aspect of it. And um, I started making a website trying to educate other people about it. I started doing YouTube and making videos on that as well. Um, and then I've, I really wanted to make a business out of it so that I can help other people in my community know how to use cannabis safely, effectively and with a purpose. Uh, because you know, a lot of people do enjoy it. But there are certain things that you can experience that you don't want to experience. So just trying to understand how to avoid those things I find is very um, imperative, especially in the world we live in right now. I love that. I love um, how you're describing your journey and you're being honest about the turns that uh, you regret making and, and the, the choices you, you made early on when you were mixing it with tobacco. Um, how long ago did people tell you that it that may or suggest to you that you shouldn't mix with it, would you say? Um, what, what people told me I shouldn't mix with it. You know what, like I found in the cannabis community, a lot of people actually mix, uh, cannabis okay. and tobacco, a lot of people, um, um and mo a lot of them who smoke with bongs, I find do it because it gives you such a wicked head rush as it is. Um, it wasn't, it was my own body really that told me you can't keep up with it anymore. You know, you start wheezing, you start getting really like you, your energy just depletes out of nowhere. Um, and you start to get agitated very easily. Um, and the need to consume more was a big thing as well. I found when I start uh, stopped mixing my cannabis, um, I my microdosing started to come into effect. I realized I was getting high and elevated to a point where I didn't need to smoke the entire uh, spliff. But when it was with tobacco, I'd smoke the whole thing and then smoke another and then smoke another. And so that I started noticing it was it was a problem uh, with that. And if I wanted to save money, I needed to stop doing that, too. So um, but in the community, yeah, like in the community, I find a lot of people actually do mix uh, their tobacco and cannabis. And I would have wondered or I would have maybe assumed wrongly that the mixing with the tobacco might have been to extend the product to, because you use less of it. Right. So yeah, I would have absolutely. thought you, if you're going to make that choice to mix it with tobacco, I would have assumed it was to save money and to stretch out your supply. Are well, you the, saying it wasn't the case for you when you don't know no. the joke is that is exactly why people do it. It's to thin out and keep more. But you have to realize the um, the more you smoke of it, the more you're going to have to buy it. Right. So like um, in your head, you've tricked yourself thinking, yeah, I saved it because I I cut it with a different substance. But you're also looking at the fact of how often are you consuming it? Um, because I find I consumed a lot more cannabis when I was doing that rather than what I do now. I can take a break and it's no problem. And I'm like, you know, I don't need to smoke the whole split before I, I smoked the whole split and another and another and another and another. And I, I thought in my head now looking back that I was saving my money but no that was not true at all at all you run out of weed so much faster that way so yeah so if someone knew we're embarking on their journey in cannabis now what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them pay attention to yourself and track what you're doing is uh, the the one advice I would definitely say um just fulfill your own needs. You know, you don't have to keep up with everyone around you in your circle. Uh, you don't need to consume the same cannabis that your friends are consuming and even the method of consumption. If you don't like to smoke, you don't like the smell of it, don't do it. You know, there's other ways to do uh, the cannabis, but make sure you're doing it for you. That's the one thing I would always say. So just pay attention to your journey um, because had I been more attentive to my journey in the beginning, I wouldn't have gone so far uh, to where I went. And it was because I was trying to keep up with people 
people in my circle. I wanted to, you know, have fun in an extreme manner, an extreme way. And it actually put my health on the line. So I would say pay attention to it, especially in the world we are in today, because cannabis is legal. There is a lot happening with it. And it's forever changing. So if you're not paying attention to that aspect of it, you can get yourself in trouble regardless if you're uh, mixing tobacco or not. Uh, if you're using the wrong cannabis for you, it can really take a, a bad toll on you. Absolutely. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, tell us, how did you become a master of marijuana? Okay, so um, it first started as I um, started educating myself on cannabis, um, because not a lot of people really found it necessarily uh, to do that. So I started embarking my journey on that. I read a book that said it takes about 10,000 hours to become a master. So I was like, I have to put in my hours now. Um, I started taking some courses such as the Canada Reps course, uh, Cannabis Sommelier, um, to really get in-depth knowledge on cannabis, the use, the uh, where it's from geology and all that stuff, uh, geography, sorry, and all that stuff. And um, I started taking another program, the Youth Rex program uh, for uh, youth workers uh, to help with uh, cannabis and youth um, to make sure that we're protecting them and all that stuff. I started following the news, obviously seeing the updates, contacting licensed producers, and I really got into the retail space as well. I became, um, I have my cannabis standard and can sell uh, expert license. So um, I, I got both of those, but I still honestly, technically not really a master just yet. I still need to put in a lot more hours. It's just, I'm trying to really, you know, um, law of attraction here and bring it into to my life and become a master. Like I'm very much obsessed with it. Um, I need to make sure that when I'm teaching people, when I talk about it, I am doing it accurately. And, and in cannabis right now, so much is changing that if I'm not keeping up with it, then I don't know what I'm doing really. Um, so I, I'm really just trying to acquire all the knowledge as possible and there's too much knowledge. So this is gonna take years, but I'm really excited because there's so much questions in cannabis. And so it's, for me, there's, there's a lot of answers but then there's more questions and there's a lot of answers. And so I'm forever learning and it's very exciting to me, but I think it's very imperative as well uh, because of how many consumers there are in the market now that everybody really should become a master of marijuana. Like this should be a movement at this point. Um, if you're in the cannabis industry, you should try to master at least one aspect of it. Um, whether it's growing, selling, cooking, you know, the extracts and stuff like that, just try to master at least one of the fields if you're in it so that you can adequately teach somebody um, how to use it properly. I, I completely agree and that's wonderful. Um, advice uh, to give people coming into the industry. So you actually work in the industry, right? You're a bud tender. Yeah, Could you describe to us what, to our listeners, what do you do day to day involved with, involving cannabis? Well, involving cannabis, I interact with the licensed producers. Um, I also help, I, I'm an expert bud tender, so I have a little bit more knowledge in the field, but um, so I consult um, cannabis consumers and help them find the best uh, cannabis cultivar for them on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, I try to, you know, select for their personal needs um, and make sure that they're enjoying their cannabis experience. So that's what I do. Um, a little other things, like when you're working in retail, obviously you have to do other things and whatnot, but you know, like stocking and um, um, checking identifications, doing a little bit of security on the side, but predominantly I try to match um, the consumers with their perfect uh, cultivar on the market. 
I, and that is such an interesting job. You get to work with the public and with cannabis, you know, so yeah. at least two of my favorite things. What, um, what kind of clients come into your store? I mean, you're in a major metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of the education level of the people that walk in to purchase adult use recreational cannabis, what would you say is the knowledge base? Are they, you know, intermediates? Are they experts walking in? Are they brand new? I would say the educational level is actually going to be on a novice um, scale for majority of the consumers walking in. I would say about like 70 to 80%. Honestly, um, there are people who've been using for years. There are some people who've used once. There are some people who've never used, but I find in regards to what they know about using cannabis safely, effectively, and with a purpose, very few know unless they do their research. And there are some who come in and they do their research and I love um, interacting with them because they really do wanna know how to use cannabis properly um, because this is a journey that you're embarking on. Regardless if you're using it recreational or medicinally, it does affect your body in a, on a therapeutic level. So, um, but majority of people walking in, they actually really don't have much knowledge on what the, the cultivars are, the terpenes, the experience, um, even the whole entire thing about indica and sativa. It's not what it is, what we think it is, a majority of what people think it is. Um, so it's a very generic term, a general term used now, but we have to start getting a little bit more specific with it. Is it hard, do you find, to educate longtime users who have a novice knowledge base, like you're describing? Are they the harder ones to educate versus someone who maybe has been looking at the last year and said, geez, you know, I can't keep drinking. Let me try cannabis. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's the fun thing about being a drug dealer, uh, which I have. So the fun thing about being a drug dealer is your clients, they're so much more open to actually knowing things um, because what the cannabis experience is, it opens you up. It's, you know, your perceptive, your perceptions change and stuff like that. So they're coming into the store wanting to know things. Um, but in terms of, is it easy? Some of the long-term users tend to want to say like, it doesn't really matter. I just want to get high. Like, that's what it is. Like, I just want to get high. I don't need to know too, too much about it. But once you start talking about it and telling them how they can identify uh, the perfect cultivars for them before they even come into the store, then they start piquing an interest and they're like, hmm, okay, so maybe that's why I had that experience before. And I don't want to experience it because when you experience a bad uh, trip, as they would say, it, it's really un- like not enjoyable. Like the paranoia, the head racing, or the extreme laziness that some people experience, it com- it's completely avoidable. And when they hear that, um, then they, I find that they become intrigued to want to know more. Right. So you're, you're providing value to your community, even if they are longtime users, when they come into the store, it's just, you have to tailor um, how you give them the message in a way that they're ready to listen to it. Most definitely. But I think it's so important to say anyways, regardless if they want to hear it afterwards, that's fine. That's their choice. But as long as they hear it at one point, um, then they can be they can start making conscious decisions and choices with their cannabis consumption. How hard or how easy do the licensed producers make it for you to educate your customer? I mean, Uh, terpenes on the packaging. (laughs) I don't see it. I wish I could. Um, I wait, like, do you get any, first of all, let, don't let me put words in your mouth. How, how do you feel about terpenes on the packaging? 
Oh, if terpenes were on the packaging, it would change everything. And this is a discussion that everyone's been having now more lately. Um, even the consumers who don't even know really what terpenes are, they just want to see it on the packaging because it's so important. Terpenes change the game of what you think your experience is. A lot of people come in. I think it's a, a huge problem. People come in talking about the THC. If it's not above 20% THC, it's not going to get you high. No, that is not what you should be thinking about. THC is the range of which you're going to be going, but the experience depends on the terpene profile. So it is imperative that licensed producers start making that available on the packages. It is not mandatory. That's why they don't do it, which I find is weird because there's so much space on the packaging because their packages are so large. Um, I've only seen one licensed producer on the market do it, which was black market. Um, but they, they make it accessible on their website sometimes maybe, um, but it's very sketch sometimes. They don't really tell you the percentage that is actually um, the whole percentage of teach, uh, terpene, sorry, that's uh, available in that um, particular cultivar, which is important too, um, because depending on how potent the terpenes are is dependent on how extreme your experience is going to be. It, some people would say like the sativas are very energizing, what you're really experiencing is the terpenes that are energizing, such as limonene um, and so many other ones. Uh, but pinene. a lot of it is, yeah, pinene. A lot of it is that, that like that's what's giving you the, the, the myrcene. A lot of people would say it's indicas. No, myrcene is what really makes your body very nice and heavy. Linalool as well. A lot of people don't know like beta caryophyllene is that spice. You want to know what fire is? It's the spice of the beta caryophyllene. So once you start identifying that, some people don't like certain certain things, certain flavors, boom, start looking at your terpenes. So the licensed producers need to start taking, you know, responsibility for that and start making that available on the package because that's your recipe. And it's really hard to sell your products if you don't know what that is. And because uh, consumers can't smell it, um, most likely they can't see it unless like, you know, we have the pictures and sometimes it's not even provided to us. So we're just, you know, shooting darts in, in the dark, you know, um, trying to identify what the consumers really need is really hard if we don't know what the recipe is of that, that cultivar. It's very hard and the terpenes matter. And so sometimes I have to ask for it. I really do have to connect with the licensed producers to get the full terpene profile and stuff, um, which sucks because it just should be available. There's too many barriers and speed bumps in the road to this. It really should be more fluid. So I hope um, with everyone screaming and asking for it, uh, the licensed producers will start listening to it. I really appreciate that Black Market has taken the initiative to make that available. Um, so I think a lot more licensed producers need to follow a handed suit. Uh, but it is too, the, the, the thing is this too, uh, you also have to look at, <clears throat> when you see licensed producers, there's, let's go with Pink, pink Kush. There's so many licensed producers that sell the, strain, uh, the cultivar Pink Kush. And sometimes when you get it, you notice like one pink kush doesn't make you feel the same as another pink kush, doesn't make you feel the same as the other pink kush, you know? And that's because the terpene profiles change based on the environment that it's grown in, the light cycle, the, you know, how just any, the energy that it receives, the other um, cultivars that are in the room with them, all that stuff affects the terpene profile of that particular cultivar. So 
I believe in my heart that it's really hard for licensed producers to relinquish that because once people see like, you know, that licensed producer has the terpene profile that they need, uh, they're only going to be going to that licensed producer and um, the other licensed producers are going to lose because their terpene profiles are too different. Um, so that's what it is as well. And also depending on how much the percentage is, um, licensed producers will lose out because if it's only like a 0.5% terpene profile in it, um, the, the market's not going to ask for it. They're going to say, no, we don't want that. We want the one that's at 2% because we can smell it. It's more pungent and all that jazz. Exactly. Now, um, I, I hear what you're saying about how they have the um, terpene profiles on some of their cultivars on their website. Mm -hmm. It's not realistic to have it there because if you're, if I'm a consumer and I'm in the store, I don't want to have to go to the website yes. because I'm already in the store and I have to be in there to see what you have. Then yeah. from what you have, I have to see, well, do I like it? Well, if I don't know that strain, then I got to go on Leafly to pull it up or go on my app. So it, I feel they would actually sell more cannabis if they had the terpene profiles listed or the major terpenes mm -hmm. listed on their packaging so that even if they didn't know what they want, you could identify, hey, this is, this would be good for you based on the terpenes you're looking for here yep. on the package. This is where they are. Am I right? You're absolutely right, 110%. And it would make it easier for the other bud tenders working in the dispensaries because not all bud tenders are extremely educated about what they're doing. Um, it's really not a qualification or mandatory for you to actually know what you're doing. You can absolutely know nothing, just do your cancel, and um, which is done over the internet and you can find the answers over Google at the same time you're doing the test. So it's really not necessarily mandatory for you to know anything at all. Um, you can go into the to the um, dispensaries and sell. And if you don't know what you're selling, then you're like, the licensed producers are losing out because there are very generic brands on the market right now that are being sold way higher at more rates than other brands like craft brands that are really good. And if we could just know what the recipes are, then it would be easier for those bud tenders to say, hey, you know, I know that you're looking for limonene. This one has limonene and this one has pinene. This one has mercine. Like it would be so much easier. It'd be so much more fluid. Um, and that's where it's, it's hard. Like the licensed producers, retailers and the bud tenders need a, a, a bit a platform for where they can educate and really talk to one another and communicate um, in a more fluid manner. And so that I, I'm looking forward to that. I've tried to reach out. I've already done my uh, due diligence to make those, you know, connections and stuff like that and create a little portal for our, my retail store so that they can have access to that. Um, but it, it's just, it needs to be done more consistently. And another problem is that there's too much licensed producers saturating the market, too many dispensaries saturating the market, and all of them are selling the same thing. Um, and there's too many different licensed producers in one store. So when you have that range and your bud tenders don't know every single thing in stock, then things are gonna stay in stock for about three months, six months to a year. And at that point, what do you actually have on the shelf? It's not cannabis anymore. It's How not often? Um, so what happens to that product that stays on the shelf that long? A lot of people don't know this, but when it stays in the package that long, it, there's degradation of the, the terpenes and the THC and stuff like that. So the THC degrades into Delta 8 THC into CBN, and then you lose the potency and the high. Like it's just very quiet. It gets very dry. The moisture in that bud is 
done, they're gone. Um, which, you know, some, if your genetic is really, really good, then it may be able to survive the dryness. But if it's not, then it's done. Um, you're not getting really any of the benefits of the terpenes. Uh, the trichomes die off, shrivel up and die. And it becomes very keefy and stuff, which the keef is nice to a certain degree. But after a while, it's just not good. It's it's really, it's not good. And the packaging is too large. There's just too much space inside there and it's crumpling up. The bud's getting abused. Once the bud can move in the package that much, you're losing the trichomes. It's dying off. It's right. it's moving. There's just too much happening inside there. Uh, it's a shame to me. Like when I see how much cannabis is on the shelf for as long, I've seen like uh, 178 of the same cultivar in uh in the the back of the vault one time for a year straight and i was like i cannot justify selling that it needs to go back to the ocs uh, which the ontario cannabis store is the online store that gives every licensed producer their stuff um the ocs it needs to go back there and then they can give it back to the licensed producers or make some tincture or something else out of it i don't know but please don't sell that as a flower because it's no longer going to do the same thing you can make it into ed edible because thc is four times stronger um, than like than smoking it when you eat it as an edible. So just do something with it. But to sell it as as a flower to the consumer is just wrong. It's not at 23% THC anymore. That's false advertising. It's a lie. Like that's not what's happening anymore. So I, I there just needs to be better quality control, consistency. There's a lot of loss in it. It's just but it's new too. So I'm very I'm criticizing it, but you know, there's other things that we need to like sort out. Um, that's why education is key right now. Do you so think they know help. this? Do you think the, the LPs are getting the message about what's happening with the product degradation in the shelf when it sits there too long? Yeah. Oh, of course they know it. Unless they, I don't know who they would hire that doesn't actually have that education or, or knowledge, um, which would be very scary, but of course they know it. But it's just because it's it's touching so many hands. And once you pass it off to the baton, like a baton, it's no longer your responsibility. And that's why it's not too much of a care. When they test it, it's at 23% THC. Sorry that you didn't get it at 23% THC. It wasn't our fault. We gave it at that point, from that point on. So it also, the social responsibility and stuff like that, like, how are we taking care of our community and we're selling this and it's being taxed? I've just, that's a whole nother story, but like, how, how are we consciously selling it at this rate? I, I don't know. And it's very bothersome. Um, to me, it, it scares me. That's why I'm just very particular. I try to voice my um, opinion on it so that, you know, my retailer at least knows what's happening. So we can avoid that because as soon as the customer gets it, it's done. Your reputation's done. There's, it's happened so many times. I've seen so many people just drop one licensed producer and they're like, we're not getting it anymore. You're done. Like, the, and that happens in the market. So I don't know why they're not fearful of that happening. Um, it comes to a point of have they made enough money where it just doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, but we'll see what happens. Uh, definitely there are some uh, cannabis licensed producers on the market that are amazing. One I'll always shout out is gonna be the Simply Bear. I love Simply Bear Organics. They are amazing, great uh, cultivars. They take care of the herb right. You get it and it's still very nice and moist and, 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 um, and bouncy. It has health to it. The trichomes are healthy. Um, so just being able to have more of them on the market is really nice. Uh, Flower is a really great, licensed producer as well on the market. I enjoy Sundial. I enjoy, um, you know, uh, Pure Sun Farms, uh, just because, you know, there are affordable brands like Redican's very nicely priced as well. Um, and they just do it differently. 
than other licensed producers. Um, there are good scaled licensed producers, uh, but they still pay attention to the quality that they're trying to produce. Um, so it's just that education. I love telling the stories. So the more that I get from the licensed producers to tell their stories, the more I'll sell it. Um, and I can only do that if they're willing to give that information. Which makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. Uh, we don't have the traditional methods of advertising and promoting our product. So it's got to be about the story, the story of how the bud gets to your, your joint or mm -hmm. how the company came to be. That's got to be something you're selling. So I it really appreciate that insight. Now you've talked about what the LPs can do to make your, your life easier. What, how, how is the impact when bud tenders do not use cannabis themselves? It's hard um, because obviously there's a, like it's very rare that you'll you'll meet or I've met, sorry, um, somebody who doesn't consume cannabis who's very passionate about it. Um, so you have a lot of, like I've worked with multiple, let's say like, like one out of five people out of the team, um, they're very passionate about the can uh, cannabis and they actually care about, you know, um, selling cannabis properly, safely and effectively. And then, um, two of those people probably never smoked or three of those people probably never smoked cannabis. Um, and their, their drive to actually stay up to date on the product knowledge, their drive to, you know, sell consumers the proper products and stuff like that, their passion for it is not there because they don't understand the experience of it. And, you know, that bleeds into like even the licensed producers, there are licensed producers uh, who's, the company's being run by somebody who doesn't even know cannabis at all. They've never touched it. They just saw the money in it. So they invested in it. There are some, you know, retailers on the market also run by people who don't know about cannabis or touched cannabis. They just saw the, the value, the money, the market's asking for it. So they just jump into it. Um, I've also seen those people struggle. And so it sucks because I've worked with people like that and their education is just not there. And it's so imperative because people come in very specifically looking for what they want. And I've seen it so many times where someone has sold something that it wasn't right for them at all. And I'm like, why, why did that happen? And I asked them like, you know, do you want to learn a little bit more? I like to challenge my teammates. I like to like try to, you know, keep it fun, keep them educated and stuff, but the drive's not there. And then I find the retail store's responsibility. I think their social responsibility is to make sure that their employees are trained, adequately trained and Keep, keep being trained because it's something that keeps on evolving, right? So um, their lack is is just, I, I, it's mind blowing to me. They just don't care um, whether or not their employees know what they're doing. I've only met a, a few, a handful of um, uh, retail stores right now. And I'm only in Brampton. So the GTA area I've been around and stuff. I've only met, I, I've gone to Ottawa, but I've only met a handful of uh, retailers that actually care about the quality of education um, to their consumers. And their consumers are very dedicated to them. Like Super Rat, very dedicated fan base. Oh my goodness. And then you have the Friendly Stranger, very dedicated. People love them, absolutely yeah. obsessed with them. Like they work very hard. Um, there are some um, re uh, retailers coming to market thousand, I believe, as in 2021, um, coming to market, and they're really looking at the, the importance of education as well. So I'm looking forward to them coming to the market. Um, I hope retailers will start taking it more important, uh, seriously, to start educating their team about it, because it needs to be done. And I think, well, it's the only recipe for success. It the, is. The plant has become so commoditized that what's going to separate you and make you stand out is your ability to stay in it and to mm -hmm. keep having customers and new customers and word of mouth keep endorsing the advice and the product that you're giving out there. 
right? Like, and if you don't know what you're doing, eventually it's going to fall apart. The money's going to run out. Yeah. No, I, at my very first, I was, I remember when I first started working in retail and I was so excited. I was like, got my first cannabis job. It was there that I studied for my expert license because I really wanted to do the best. And I actually proposed to my boss. I was like, you know, I think it would be really great. And we would be very different than other retailers on the market if we set up an educational aspect, you know, like a way for people to actually connect with us and, and be educated, consult, uh, you know, on their ones. And he flat out told me there's no market for it. People don't care. And I was like, I was so hurt. My heart broke because I was like, why would you say people don't care about being educated on how to use cannabis properly? Like, what is the point? And then I started seeing other things unfold there. And I was like, okay, so just the passion, like this was when the lottery happened. So, you know, if you won the lottery, you got to open a cannabis store. And there was a lot that opened that really just did not have the mind or the grip for it. Uh, There's a lot of back in, in Hamilton, there's a lot of illegal dispensaries still open and stuff like that. That is like one of the hubs for cannabis, but you have some of the most passionate people working there. And right. the they're so passionate about it. They know everything from up to down, left to right on cannabis, and they want to share it with the community. Yes. The Hamilton cannabis scene is a huge engine, I believe in the, in the Ontario market. They, yeah. they generate a lot of events, a lot of education, and a lot of awareness and yes, the economics in, in Hamilton proper to get it. And yeah. I understand to a degree why it's like that because um, my, my business partner, Natalie and I, we went there, I wanna say in August and we wanted to stop in at a cannabis uh, dispensary not far from Barton. And there was a lineup around it. And I said, oh no, I don't line up for cannabis. <laughs> we got in the car and we left. Yeah, no. But I'm sure I, there's so many, I'm not even kidding. Like, but in Hamilton, it's different there because cannabis basically like saved Hamilton in a way. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but Hamilton after the steel cities, like just locked down so much of the factories. A lot of people were out of jobs. You started seeing crack on the rise. Like it was really a serious problem. Um, as soon as I saw started seeing the buzz of cannabis, though, you started seeing people coming back. Like everyone was like, you know, enjoying life now. As soon as, people started opening the dispensary boom like you saw a real big boom Hamilton's actually home of like a lot of great um different people amazing like they do art walks and stuff like that they're really like a, just like a nice different type of city uh not really known for a lot of things like people really don't pay attention to it too much but it's very beautiful they have McMaster Hospital down there but the cannabis scene down there is absolutely amazing the quality of cannabis that you get amazing um just like the reserves and stuff like that amazing I just love it I love that and I love your enthusiasm so thanks for describing it to our listeners who've never been yeah now I have a question for you canista versus bud tender what's your preference on how you would want to be called that's funny honestly bud tender is the going i like the name canista though i do and like i really do like the name canista it's cute but bud tender like you know it's like a bartender like you're you're getting things ready that's actually like what it really is kind of it's kind of different though too i find it's more i find it's more like a mcdonald's now than anything like 
you know, like it's, it's weird. The atmosphere of a, of a dispensary, the way that it functions and stuff like that, it's not necessarily like a bar or anything like that. Um, because I find people who are bartending, they know a lot more about their products that they're selling and stuff like that. Um, there's a different situation happening within the cannabis um, retailers. Um, so definitely I would, or like, yeah, actually I think Canista would fit it a little bit more just like barista because you know, those guys, it would fit a little bit more. It's not, honestly, it's not my preference. It changes everywhere. Like there's other stores that are calling themselves other things. I like cannabis connoisseur. I think that's amazing. I like to be referred to as that. Uh, sommelier is a really nice one as well. But the going one right now is bud tender. So it, it is what it is. I just find majority of people don't have that level of education that bartenders have though. Um, they know their products that are behind the shelves and stuff like that. They know off the top when a customer comes to them, they know what to get and stuff like that. It's very, yeah, it's a different language. So if you're going to be a bud tender, you better be at least as knowledgeable as a bartender yeah. is of their bar, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So Completely fair. And I could get with that. Definitely. Um, I really love talking to you. Could you tell us and our listeners what can we expect to come this year for the master of marijuana? Oh my goodness. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, very thankful to have joined this uh, Biz Start program to help me actually hone in on the business that I want to create. I really do, like my whole purpose is making sure that people find the perfect cultivar um, cannabis experience for them. So I, it's something like a freelance uh, bud tender, let's say a cannabis consultant. I want people to be, be very personal with their cannabis journey and really identify what it is, their purpose of using cannabis. So I've been working on my website um, to start doing that. I've been working on some services and products that I'll be making available, uh, hopefully by May is my launch date. So I want to actually make something that is, you know, curated to you personally. So you really understand why you're using cannabis. I want it to get to a point where people, you know, there's no question if and or why, like they're using cannabis, they know. Um, so I want to help the journey of the consumers. I'm for the people. I've always been for the people. So I want to make sure that I'm identifying and then helping my community as well. Um, the whole social aspect of my business is to really help those who've been, you know, affected most by the cannabis prohibition. I'm really for the um, petition that's going around to really identify and, and help bring light to the fact that we need to reinvest back into our communities that have been affected by prohibition. I've seen people, there are people making millions in this uh, business right now, and still there are people who are in jail. Uh, people have lost their family members, people who are have been traumatized by the whole entire prohibition. And a a lot of people would like to say it's their fault they knew it was illegal but they also knew that there wasn't actually a problem with cannabis and so we have to look at the you know the political and racially charged motivation as to why it became um you know illegal in the first place and how it became legal and why we're trying to go over or pass it by as if nothing happened. Um, so I'm really focused on that and then protecting the youth as well. I know why cannabis became legal in the first place, as they said, quote unquote, was to protect the youth. Yet somehow age 16 to 24 year olds have been consuming cannabis doubled that of people age 25. And I know that like, Cannabis to me is a very spiritual thing. So if used properly at any age, you know, you could, you, it's possible, but we're not 
educating the youth on how to use it properly if they're using it at all or why they don't have to use it. So I really just want them to be educated and not forgotten because it's my responsibility now to make sure the people coming after me are protected and I'm not trying to set them up for failure. So uh, for 2021, it is a big year for Master of Marijuana, really trying to build the network, trying to build relationships, trying to help my community and the youth uh, within the community so we can all enjoy cannabis safely and effectively and with a purpose. That sounds really good to me. So thank you for sharing that. And just to um, bring to our listeners' attention, the petition you're referring to is the Louder Together petition, um, which is a petition to reallocate a portion of the excise tax that is normally given to the RCMP and law enforcement agencies and to direct it instead to the black and indigenous and racialized communities that were unfairly and unjustly targeted. You are completely right. Um, It's one thing to change and correct um, the mistake of having cannabis be criminalized in this country, but they also have to, justice is also has to come through with this and make right all the people they've wronged in that process. Yeah, no, it's it's almost imperative for me, especially because I've seen this happen way too many times in a history where, you know, things have been told to us that it's the worst thing ever and then it's made legal. And the people who really profit off of it aren't the people who are harmed by it at all. And people have been harmed and they deserve some sort of, even like, you know, an acknowledgement. It doesn't even have to be an apology, but an acknowledgement that this shouldn't have happened at all, but there's nothing. So I'm really with the whole entire movement. I've contacted, you know, Justin Trudeau and uh, Doug Ford. I've contacted the budget of Ontario to see what's happening with the money. Still haven't heard anything back. So, you know, someone's going to have to go and contact them again, but it, it is a whole movement that I don't think we should forget about because as much as we're enjoying this time, this wouldn't have been possible for the people who didn't push it in the first place. And there were people who kept on pushing this movement and we should give thanks to them because they're the pop pioneers and we wouldn't have had this moment. I wouldn't be able to enjoy it the way that I am today if they didn't keep on pushing it forward. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Taking um, a moment to switch gears, I have a question I want to ask you, being the master of marijuana and cannabis sommelier that you are. If someone wanted to gift you with an ounce of the finest weed, what cultivar would it be? Where would it be from? And what would you do with it? Could you set the scene for us, please? Yes. Okay. So if someone was to gift me... um, the best cultivar, my favorite, I should say, cultivar. It would be on February 14th. It'd be a bouquet as they would give it to me. Um, And I would really enjoy if it was the Congolese cultivar, anything Congolese. I absolutely love. I got to try uh, the Simply Bears uh, Creek Congo. And I'm not even kidding. The experience was so beautiful. So if I can have that, in like the orange mountains of Jamaica with Arasta teaching me about, you know, the cannabis farming and what actually goes into it and the respect of the herb. I would love that. Even if I could have it in Congo itself to really pay homage and respect to the land that it came from, I would absolutely enjoy that. I think that would be the best experience for me. Uh, Definitely enjoy that. I would enjoy that for the rest of my life for Batum for sure. I'm with you. I got chills when you were describing that. So thank you. I'd be there with you if you wanted to bring some. Oh, of course. 
Okay. Always better together. Well, before I let you go, because I've had a wonderful time with you, but I can't keep you here forever. Could you tell our (laughs) listeners one more time how they can find you on social media? Yes. um, My handle for everything is Master of Marijuana. You can find me on LinkedIn um, at Chantel Philpots, actually, I should say, but um, Master of Marijuana for Instagram, for Snapchat, for my YouTube channel, and then masterofmarijuana.org for the website. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being here. I love it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on my show today. It has been an extreme pleasure having you. I'm so Um, I'm so inspired by your passion for the plant and I love the energy and the education and knowledge you're sharing with all of us. So thank you so much, sis. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I'm blessed and grateful. 2021 is the year and I'm so thank you to have met you and everyone at the Afro-Canadian Buzz Sisters. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sis. Stay lifted. (laughs) You've been listening to the Miss Weed Wiki podcast, and we thank you for your support.